Welcome to the Danny Picard Show, Thursday, December 5th, 2019. As always, broadcasting from the Beantown USA studio. Beantown USA is Boston's home for customized screen printing and embroidery. Get more information on their website, beantownusa.com. On today's show, I will preview week 14 in the NFL. I'll give you picks, picks for week 14. Five games against the spread as I do every single Thursday. And picks, picks will include the Patriots Chiefs game at Gillette Stadium on Sunday at 425 on CBS. So I will get into Patriots Chiefs. And speaking of the Patriots, Deion Sanders on NFL Network this week, he guaranteed that the Patriots will be adding a wide receiver in the next few weeks. How will they do this? Who will they add? I will play the audio for you from Deion Sanders, and I will tell you what I think about that audio clip, about his opinion. Is it an informed opinion? That's coming from Deion Sanders? You could be the judge of that, but I'll also be the judge of it, and I'll tell you what I think. I'll play the audio for you in just a few minutes. Uh, We'll take a look at the state of the New England Patriots, if you will, because the Patriots are in the news. A lot of people criticizing them, even though they are tied for the best record in football. Uh, But I think some of those criticisms are certainly deserved as the offense continues to struggle. So we'll take a look at all of that. And speaking of the NFL, we have some clinching scenarios this weekend. I will get into what those clinching scenarios are for the playoffs, the NFL playoffs right around the corner. And then I will close out the show with a few Major League Baseball thoughts before we head into the winter meetings. The winter meetings next week begin on Monday in San Diego. Some moves have been made in the Major League Baseball offseason. So I will react to those moves and I'll tell you what's being rumored that the Red Sox could be doing as we get closer to the winter meetings. All of it today presented by DraftKings. You can play for free at DraftKings.com or on the DraftKings app by using promo code PIC, P-I-C. That's promo code PIC, P-I-C. And you can play for free this Sunday in the $1 million play action contest for Week 14 in the NFL. $1 million in total prizes with $100,000 going to first place. You can win $100,000 this Sunday by just playing in this contest. And doing it for free when you sign up and make your first deposit using my promo code PIC, P-I-C. That's promo code PIC, P-I-C, at DraftKings.com. Welcome to the show uh, on this Thursday, December 5th. Again, as we get closer to Christmas and closer to the NFL playoffs, it's already week 14. Uh, It's hard to believe this season has just flown by, but it always does, right? It always does, so maybe I shouldn't sound too surprised. Thanks for taking time away from the impeachment hearings and all the Peloton ad outrage. You know, there's, there's always a lot of bullshit that's going on, and all this bullshit and this outrage, it really, it really drives me away from Twitter. It drives me away from social media. Like, I, because what it results in is me getting outraged at the outrage, right? And I try not to tweet my outrage about the outrage because then you'll get outrage about my outrage about the outrage. And it's just a never-ending cycle of outrage on social media. I have a feeling, though, the creators of Twitter, this is exactly what they wanted. Exactly what they wanted. There's a lot of bullshit that's going on right now. Um, uh, But I will say, with regards to the Peloton ad, I will say that I think... The Peloton ad outrage is a perfect example 
of how we as a society and a human race can be easily manipulated. Like we are easy. You can get us. We are easily manipulated. Peloton has done something here that a lot of people are just, they're, they're so caught up in it now. Like they're so worked up about it on either side. Like they're either worked up that they don't like the ad and they think it's, they think it's sexist and they think it's wrong and they're outraged at that. And then you got the people that are outraged at the people who are saying it's sexist. The people who are outraged at the people who think the ad is wrong and the ad should be taken down. And this is, you know, uh, they can't believe the Peloton would put this out there to the masses. So you got outrage all over. But it's just manipulation. This is Peloton doing exactly what they wanted to do. Here's my theory on this Peloton ad outrage. You might think I'm crazy, but I don't think so. I think this is the reality of the world we live in and Peloton manipulating everybody in the world. They have manipulated everybody weeks before Christmas. This is the time, keep in mind, that everybody's either going to go online or go into a store, go into a mall, go on their phone, jump on their iPad, jump on their computer, and buy stuff for other people. Right? The holidays. And if you're running the Peloton marketing strategy and you want people talking about Peloton, well, how do you do it? Do you just push out a commercial and and say, everybody, go get a Peloton? No. You send out a commercial that you think might have some controversy in it, but you also, what you do, and I, I don't even know how the outrage started. I don't know how... The outrage. I don't know the. I don't know who the first person was that tweeted or said, "I am outraged by this. I don't like this ad. This is sexist." I don't know the first person who who said that, but I can almost guarantee you that the first person who said that was somebody that works for Peloton. I can I can almost guarantee. Here's what happened. Here's what Peloton did. All right, it's the best marketing strategy that maybe anyone's ever had. Because everybody and their mother right now is talking about Peloton. Whether it's good or it's bad, if you're Peloton, everyone's talking about you. And now you might have the attention and the interest of someone who might want a Peloton who might not even have thought about a Peloton two weeks ago. Whether it's outrage or not. What do they say? Negative publicity is still publicity. What Peloton did is they started this outrage, probably, after they sent this commercial out, they probably started the outrage by creating all these phony Twitter accounts. They probably created troll accounts or burner accounts or whatever they are. And they probably started, they they purposely started the outrage themselves. And what happened was, when other people see that other people are outraged about something, and they're taking a stand for a certain cause, the people who believe in that cause will jump on board. And it will just build, right? It'll just build. And it will eventually spiral out of control. And that's exactly what happened. Peloton sent this commercial out, knowing exactly what they were going to do after. They probably created all these troll Twitter accounts, and they probably started tweeting about how this is outrageous, and and this is sexist. I can't believe Peloton will put it out. Knowing that that... You know, the people who always take that stand will will see the commercial and go, They're, these people are right. This is sexist. We are outraged by this. They Peloton probably fed this outrage to media networks 
sensitive media networks that are like, oh, we can't, we have to report on this. We can't believe they would put something out like this. Right? And they, they knew the publicity it was going to get. And then they knew on top of that, there would be a lot of people that would roll their eyes at the outrage and go, are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? And then they would, tweet, those people would tweet about it. They would tweet back at the people who are fighting against this Peloton ad because it's sexist. Peloton has created a, uh, what do you want, what do you want to call it right now? I mean, they, they've started uh, something that they knew they were going to start from the beginning. And I'm sure their sales are probably going to be through the roof this year. How many people do you know buying Pelotons right now? Like, how many people do you know? More people. I'm opening the show talking about Peloton. They got it. They got us. We're manipulated. Easily manipulated. Worldwide manipulation is possible. How do I know it? The Peloton ad. It's real. They got us. <laughs> like, you know, I, the people who are outraged by this, relax. Easy. Calm down. Everything's going to be okay. All right. Everything's going to be just fine. Uh, I am certainly not outraged by the ad, but I also am not, I'm not dumb enough to think that this outrage is, is just coming out of nowhere. Like I think the outrage was created by Peloton and I think they created this ad knowing that they would create the outrage and the chaos that would ensue followed by just the ultimate Marketing strategy of everybody and their mother talking about Peloton a couple weeks before Christmas. A time in which everybody's looking for a good gift. So, Peloton did exactly what they wanted to do. And if you're outraged by it, my advice to you would be get over it. Get over it. Get over it. Life goes on. Try to enjoy something in life. Like, try to maybe put Twitter down. Put the phone down. Stop searching things Stop Stop jumping on board of other causes that people are outraged about, right? That's what we do. That's why Twitter is so dangerous. I say this all the time. We see people's opinions that we should never see. Somebody gives an opinion on something, all of a sudden it's retweeted by, by, by this person, someone else sees it, all of a sudden it falls, into, it falls into my Twitter feed, an opinion from someone that I don't even know who that person is. And I should never know who this person is. And I should never come across this person's opinion ever in my life. But yet, here it is, right underneath a tweet, right underneath a tweet about Tom Brady and the Patriots. But it showed up on my feed. But that's the problem with Twitter. We see people's opinions that we should never see. And, and that's not just me. That's everybody sees opinions from people we shouldn't see. And it leads to people going, oh, wow, I, I agree with this person. And then this person agrees with the other person. And then all of a sudden, you got a protest. <laughs> all of a sudden, you got outrage. Because people who have outrage, when they see other people are outraged at the same thing, they feel inclined to, to team up and create something kind of out of nothing. And, like, what are you enjoying in life? Does anyone enjoy anything? People on Twitter, do you enjoy anything in life? Just try. Just put Twitter away for a little bit. Stop searching for things to be outraged about. That's what it is. It's the overreaction culture. And one of those branches in the overreaction culture is outrage. And right now, the, a, a branch hanging off the outrage is the Peloton ad. 
which was perfectly placed by Peloton to get your attention so that you would maybe, you know, you would spark a flame under the people who get outraged at the outrage culture. <laughs> it's, it really is a genius marketing strategy. You got, you got to see that this is what Peloton was trying to do. Anyways. Anyways, go get a Peloton. They don't, by the way, they, they do not sponsor this show. They should. They should. But they don't need to. They don't need to pay for advertisements when they can just throw something out on Twitter and get people to advertise for them for free. They created one commercial, and they just created absolute drama where everybody and their mother's talking about them. So I will stop. But it is marketing manipulation 101. And uh, I actually think Peloton should be applauded for it. I'll applaud them today. It is a, a job well done. They, they did a nice job. So uh, let's get back to business. The NFL, uh, as we wrapped up week 13 on Monday night, the Seahawks beat the Vikings in a wild one. Seattle now has won five straight games. And with that win, as I told you, if they won that game, they will bounce up into the top of that NFC West division and knock San Francisco out of one of the top two spots. San Francisco is actually the one seed. Seattle jumps up from the five seed to the two seed, which which sends the Saints from the two seed to the one seed. So right now, if the playoffs began today in the NFC, the Saints are the one seed at 10 and 2. The Seahawks are the two seed at 10 and 2. The Saints hold that tiebreaker because they beat Seattle. New Orleans beat Seattle earlier this season. Uh, the three seed is Green Bay at 9 and 3. The fourth seed is the Dallas Cowboys at 6-6, six and six, still holding on to that division in the NFC East, a division that nobody wants. And then you got the San Francisco 49ers, the five seed at 10-2, Minnesota Vikings, the sixth seed at 8-4. On the outside looking in, you got the LA Rams at 7-5, who is still alive. Is Chicago alive at 6-6? Six and six? I would say no, and I'm not even going to give you the rest of those teams. But um, that's what you got in the NFC. In the AFC, you got Baltimore, the one seed, at 10 and 2. The Patriots, the two seed at 10 and 2. Houston, the three seed at 8 and 4. Kansas City, the four seed at 8 and 4. Buffalo, the five seed at 9 and 3. Pittsburgh, the six seed at 7 and 5. Those are the teams getting in. On the outside looking in, you got Tennessee which at 7 and 5. Oakland at 6 and 6. Indy at 6 and 6. And I guess you got to mention Cleveland at 5 and 7. Because mathematically, it's still possible. But Cleveland hurt themselves by, by would they lose to Pittsburgh last week? Uh, there have been some things that Cleveland Cleveland should be in this race more than they are. I mean, you could look at Cleveland's schedule and think that they should be 7-5, but they just could not live up to the hype, and there was a lot of hype with Cleveland head into the season. So that's what the playoff picture currently looks like. Um, and now as we head into Week 14, Week 14 begins with Chicago hosting Dallas on Thursday Night Football. The Cowboys, a three-point favorite, in this one uh, on the road. Uh, but I think that says more about Chicago than anything else because we know that Dallas right now is that they do not look like a team that wants to win the NFC East, but neither does Philly at five and seven, who's just coming off a loss to the Miami Dolphins, right? So um, Dallas on Thursday Night Football, I'm not going to spend too much time on this because by the time you listen to the show, it could be Friday morning and that game could be over with, but that's when week 14 begins with Thursday Night Football. Dallas is at Chicago. And if you're Dallas, I mean, it's a must win, right? Because you mathematically, you got you got Washington at 3-9 and nine that's still alive to, to win that division. And given what we've seen in the NFC East, like 
maybe it's not all that impossible, but uh, it's a must win for Dallas on Thursday Night Football. Week 14 will end with Philly. So you, you we're getting the, the the beginning of week 14. Week 14 begins with Dal- a game with Dallas. They have to win. And then we're ending week 14 on Monday Night Football with Philly hosting the Giants. Uh, the Eagles, a nine-and-a-half-point favorite in this one on Monday Night Football. Philly hosting the Giants. Uh, the Giants have been eliminated. They're 2-10. and 10, And they might, they're going back to Eli Manning because Daniel Jones is hurt. And so we'll see. Will Eli Manning be just good enough to cost the Giants the number one overall pick. Obviously, right now, Cincinnati, if the if the season ended right now, Cincinnati at 1-11 and 11 would get the number one overall pick. Giants, uh, they would get the number two overall pick at 2-10. and 10. But hey, you never know. Eli Manning comes in, tries to prove himself a little bit, helps the Giants win a couple of games. All of a sudden, they got the fourth and the fifth pick. <laughs> like, I don't rule that out either. So uh, that's where you got a Monday Night Football. Philly hosting the Giants. The Eagles a 9.5-point favorite. That is high. Considering the Eagles are five and seven, and they just lost to Miami, nine and five. I know they're at home. I know they're playing against the Giants, but man, nine and a half in a divisional game—that's high. That is high. The Sunday night football game of the week. You get the Rams hosting the Seahawks. The Seahawks are a one-point favorite, though. I've seen it a couple other places. This is a pick'em. Um, and you could say that with the one-point spread, it's a pick'em, anyways. But the Seahawks on the road in LA against the Rams. Again, Seahawks win five straight. They get the big win on Monday night. They're currently the two seed in the NFC, and the Rams on the outside looking in. But I'll I'll say my thoughts on this game because it is part of my picks, picks, picks. Five games against the spread that I'll give in just a few minutes. Uh, but that's officially the Sunday night football game of the week on NBC. You could say that San Francisco and New Orleans could be the Sunday night game of the week on NBC. That game instead is going to be. Sunday at 1 o'clock, San Francisco is in New Orleans in a crucial game uh, for, I mean, for for both teams, really. Now, San Fran, obviously, they do not hold the tiebreaker over Seattle for that division, and so that factors into a potential first-round bye. So San Fran will need to win this game, and they'll need help with the Rams beating Seattle if San Francisco wants to get back to the top of the division. Uh, but for New Orleans, you know, right now you control your own destiny. Win and stay at the one seed, right? Just keep winning. But New Orleans hosts San Francisco Sunday at 1 o'clock. Here in New England, we get set to watch the Patriots host the Chiefs Sunday at 425 on CBS. Uh, the New England Patriots, a three-point favorite in this game. A three-point favorite over the Chiefs. Uh, if the playoffs began today, Patriots would be the two seed. Kansas City would be the fourth seed. And this really will be the last game on this stretch of the Patriots' schedule that we looked at at the beginning of the season and even in the middle of the season and thought this is going to be the toughest stretch, right? After the bye week, Philly, Dallas, Houston, Kansas City. Um, now, you, we'll throw Baltimore in there because obviously Baltimore turned into a team, uh, a different team, a dominant team, by the time you got to week six or seven. And so Baltimore's in that. We got to throw them in that stretch right now. And so in that stretch, Baltimore, Philly, Dallas, Houston, and now this one in Kansas City. So far, the four games played in this five crucial five game crucial stretch, the Patriots are two and two. They're two and two. Uh, so they want to finish the stretch three and two with a win over Kansas City. It is a must win for the Patriots. I, I mean, 
Buffalo is sitting there at nine and three. You know, I, we we got to acknowledge it. I I know there aren't many people who think Baltimore is as good as the Patriots, and they're not. You're right to acknowledge that Buffalo, the Bills, are not as good as the Patriots. But I mean, they are nine and three, so they're right there up the Patriots' ass, and they do play again in Week 16 at Gillette Stadium. The Bills are at Gillette to play the Patriots. The Bills will play Baltimore. It's in Buffalo on Sunday at 1 o'clock. That could be a tough game for Baltimore, given Buffalo's defense. I, I I don't know that I'm picking Buffalo to win that game, but that could be a close one. And it, it could be a tough game for Baltimore. But anyways, it's a must win for the Patriots. The Patriots, you know, in a perfect world, they win out. They beat Kansas City, then they beat Cincinnati, then they beat Buffalo and Miami. Um, but the way this thing looks right now, a lot of people question what the Patriots are outside of the record because the record shows that they have the, they're have they tied for the best record in football. But if you listen to people talk about the Patriots, if you watch people talk about the Patriots on TV, listen to them uh, on, on some of the biggest shows, either in this town or nationally, you know, you get a lot of people that are knocking the New England Patriots. And I have said, and I said on Monday's show, that you can't deny the issues this Patriots team has offensively. Like, you just can't deny it, right? You can't deny the issues they have. But as I wrote in a column for the Boston Metro, which is in print today, we try to find the fix. Everybody's trying to find the fix. Here are the things we know about the potential fix that the Patriots could have with their offense. Heading into their Week 14 game against Kansas City. Here are the things we know about a potential fix. One... Rob Gronkowski's not walking back through that door, okay? He's not. He cannot return. If he was going to return, come out of retirement and return, it would have had it would have had to have been before the Houston game. Uh, so he would have had to announce that return and file for reinstatement from retirement last at, last week at the end of last week, right? Um, that's what we know. Gronk's not walking back through that door. The other thing that we know is that Antonio Brown is not walking back through that door. And I think people need to stop with that. And I said that on Monday, too. We talked about the, the, the Instagram, you know, images or things that he shares in which people knock Robert Kraft and talk about the whole, um, you know, the whole rub and tug situation with Robert Kraft. Like, Antonio Brown is an idiot. He's not coming back. The Patriots are not bringing him back because he's a moron. And if he wasn't such a moron, Antonio Brown, forget about the Patriots, he'd probably be playing for another team right now. He probably would still be in Oakland, would have never left Oakland. But he's an idiot. He's not, the Patriots are not bringing him back. So what do you do? You could either look around and bring somebody in, maybe somebody gets released, clears waivers, or... Um, maybe there's somebody who's still a free agent that's out there that you could bring in, or you could rely and look at the guys that you have on your current roster. I think right now what we're doing is we are asking an awful lot out of rookies like Jacoby Myers and Nikhil Harry. Keep in mind, Nikhil Harry's been injured and on injured reserve for most of the season. You also keep in mind that Jacoby Myers wasn't the first, he, he wasn't the first round pick that Nikhil Harry was. Um... 
I, I do think we're asking a little too much of those guys. I mean, we're breaking down the routes that they're running in this game against Houston and where they've gone wrong, and we're really focusing on what Brady was saying to these guys on the sideline. You know, that video everyone keeps showing where we're trying to read Brady's lips. Some people have transcribed it, and they've been able to accurately come up with what Brady was saying, and then people will overreact to that. And they'll take Brady's frustrations with the weapons he has or doesn't have. And we'll look into Brady's future again. There's another story on Brady's future this week that came out. Tom E. Curran, uh, NBC Sports Boston, on their website. You know, he, he writes the story basically wondering if are we seeing the final days of Brady in a Patriots uniform. And to be honest with you, I read the story, to be honest with you. Like, if there's anybody that writes a story about Brady's future and the details that might be thrown in there that could be portrayed as opinionated, but an informed opinion, if there's a story like that on Brady's future that I will believe and actually be somewhat concerned about, because even though it looks like opinion, it might be borderline factual, if there is a story like that that I'd get concerned about and take for real, it is one written by Tom E. Curran, Because I believe he does have some type of connection with Brady's camp when it comes to his sources. He's very well connected in the league. In the league and also with the Patriots. Um, If there's anybody that writes a story on that and I take it seriously, it is Tom. And, And so I did read that with a little more concern than I usually have when I see these reports from other people. Even other big national NFL reporters like Rappaport or Schefter, like... If there's anyone I I do take a little more seriously than the others when it comes to the future of Tom Brady or any details on Tom Brady's career, it is Tom E. Curran, a story from Tom E. Curran. However, the unfortunate part for Tom E. Curran is that, and this isn't his fault, but we have done this so much now that I think... I'm no longer interested... Or, or I shouldn't say no longer interested... In Brady's future, I'm just not, I'm no longer interested in that story right now. Like, you get what I'm saying? Like, eh, like I just, we've done it so many times. We've talked about it so many times. I just, I just don't have much energy left in me anymore for that subject. I, I'm, I'm to the point where it's now with Brady. If this is it, let's deal with it at the end of the season. Let's do that story. Let, let's, let's talk about it after the season. Right now, we're trying to figure out what can this Patriots team do with Tom Brady right now to have the best chance to win again right now. And when you look at all the pieces that they have, Brady calling out his his receivers on the sideline. We're breaking down, and I think, I think, overanalyzing the routes that are run by kids that we're asking too much of right now. Right? Here's the deal. If we're talking about a fix currently within the organization, one, it's the continued improvement of the offensive line, which still has injury issues. They just lost their backup center, for crying out loud. You know, we're looking at the right tackle position, what what type of injuries we got over there. They just got Isaiah Wynn back. But it's the trickle-down effect throughout the entire line. When you lose one guy, that affects the whole line with regards to communication. And, And that's a big deal. So that's one. You gotta get healthy up front. Uh, Two is, let's not ignore the fact that the Patriots traded a second-round pick for Mohamed Sanu a week before the NFL trade deadline. Like, that was their move. We went into the trade deadline wondering, what are the Patriots going to do? You know, 
it, the Patriots must have known Gronk wasn't coming back. Antonio Brown, they weren't bringing him back. They needed something. So they said, we're going to give up a second-round pick. We're going to target a player, and we're going to give we're going to give up a second-round pick for that player. I told you at the time, I thought giving up a second-round pick for Mohamed Sanu was a lot. I thought that was a lot. It's more than I thought the Patriots would give up for him. It's also more... Like, it's more than I thought the Patriots would be willing to give up for Sanu. It's also more than I thought you would have to give up. It's more than I thought anyone would have to give up for Sanu. So you gave up a lot. There is a difference in between giving up a lot and giving up too much for a guy. Did the Patriots, yeah, they gave up a lot. And a second-round pick for Sanu, that's a lot. But did they give up too much? Right now, you could answer that question with a yes. They did give up too much. Right now, you could say that. Muhammad Sanu's got a chance to change the answer to that question. Did the Patriots give up too much for him? So, did, so my column on the Metro today is, given what the Patriots have, if we're looking for a fix to this Patriots offense, I don't think there's a magic fix. But if you're looking at the guys they have, and you're asking somebody to step up and be the difference maker that might allow Julian Edelman... To, to have some more time and space in the middle of the field, to maybe even give someone like James White a little bit more time and space, now that, you know, you got cornerbacks covering him out of the backfield, might even open some things up for, I, I don't, I mean, even the run game, right? I mean, if we're looking at somebody to be that guy, to step his game up, to me, this is a no-brainer. It's got to be Mohamed Sanu. You gave up a second-round pick to get him. I know he's banged up right now with an ankle issue. He's got an ankle injury. He's on the injury report again this week. He was limited participation on Wednesday, yesterday. But, man, looking back at that trade, knowing what we know now, seeing what we see, I think asking what we're asking for from some of these young receivers, Mohamed Sanu's a nine, eight, nine-year veteran in this league. Man, You've played with with big-name quarterbacks. Like, you're playing with Tom Brady right now. I know you're banged up, but, like, I think a lot of guys are banged up right now. It's time for Mohamed Sanu to step up. It's time for him to be somebody that goes out there and is going to be able to make a difference. And if Mohamed Sanu can, can go out there and make any difference with this Patriots offense, if he can be any type of weapon, for this Patriots offense, it is going to open things up. Everything has a trickle-down effect, as we've seen in the past, it, just in the NFL, but but more specifically with this Patriots offense and the way it's run. Trickle-down effect. But someone needs to step up. Who's that someone? I think we're asking too much out of Nikhil Harry right now. I think we're asking too much out of Jacoby Myers right now. Are we asking too much out of Philip Dorsett? I know he's been banged up too. Um, we have seen times in which Philip Dorsett has been trusted by Tom Brady. Then they get away from Philip Dorsett, and I've always wondered why they're getting away from Dorsett. Uh, you know, so maybe we could ask some more out of Dorsett, but man, Mohamed Sanu, like, we've seen him in big spots when he was with Atlanta, right? You, you know what Sanu can do. It's time for him to do it for the Patriots. Yeah, he's a, he's a big body, 6'2", 6'3", that can take, that plays on the inside, and I just think you can open up some things. And Sanu, if he can become any type of weapon that can help this Patriots offense, you're going to get that moment, whether it's Sunday against Kansas City or in Cincinnati in Week 15, 
or against Buffalo in Week 16, you're going to get that moment that's that breath of fresh air where you're like, all right, the Patriots, that's it. That's the drive. Patriots offense, okay. We see it now. We see what needs to happen to open things up for other guys, for Tom Brady to be able to feel comfortable in that pocket. Like, it's all coming together. That's it. The Patriots, they're back. In fact, they never, they've never gone anywhere. They still exist, and other teams should still be scared of them going into the playoffs, especially if those teams have to come into Gillette Stadium. Right? Like, we have, we don't have that moment yet with the offense. With the defense, the defense has been so good. They're statistically the best defense in football. What do they allow? 12 points a game? That's best in the league? Um, Stephon Gilmore has had a great season. He's got a, a lot of big interceptions. The special teams. Matthew Slater blocking punts. Those are exciting moments. But that doesn't really... That doesn't satisfy the people that are watching the offense going, we need them to have this big drive to start a game, to open the game up with a big pass that opens up other passes for other players, and they score a touchdown, and it seems easy, and it's against a good defense. Like, we need that moment from Brady, the offensive line, from Edelman, and who else, though? From Sanu, from James White. Like, we need that moment, that breath of fresh air where we go, that's it. That looks right. That looks like what we're used to seeing happen this time of year. So with this current roster, who's a guy that can help make that happen? Who's a guy that can help make that drive happen? A guy that can maybe make that play where we're like, that's it. That's what they need. It's got to be Muhammad Sanu. You gave up a second round pick for him. Like, it's time for him to step up. I don't want to, no more using injuries or illnesses as an excuse. Like, you're out there. If you're suited up and you're good enough to play, then you better go out and play and make a difference. You give up a second-round pick for someone, you better make a difference. Sanu has not made a difference. He hasn't. You know, his statistically, his best game, I think, was the Baltimore game, right? Statistically, I think there were some other games where his stats weren't as good, and you could say made a little bit more of a difference. But um, he's got, Sanu's got to be better, a whole lot better than he has been. And and will, will that be the magic magic fix? Like, no. But I think the trickle-down effect will then take place, which will maybe change the way defenses will be playing the Patriots and will open something else up. You need that other factor. Now, that's just given what they have. There is someone out there that thinks the Patriots are still going to add somebody to the team at the wide receiver position that's going to help. That could actually be the magic fix. Who is that person? That person is Deion Sanders. Uh, Deion Sanders was on NFL Network earlier this week. It might have even been late Sunday night after the game. Was it Sunday night after the game? I don't know. I know it was posted on social media either Sunday night or, mo- or Monday. And um, it's Deion Sanders with the split screen with Chris Rose. And Deion Sanders guarantees, Deion Sanders now an analyst for NFL Network, he guaranteed that the Patriots make an addition to their wide receiver court I don't know, before the regular season? Like, it's it's a little confusing. Is this his opinion? It is. But is it an informed opinion? And and who does Deion Sanders think they're going to bring in? I'm going to play the audio for you. We can listen to it together. And then I will, you can... 
come up with whatever you come up with, but I will give you my reaction to it. Here's Deion Sanders on NFL Network uh, earlier this week talking about the Patriots after the loss to the Texans and what the Patriots need to do and will do with their offense and what they'll add. Here's Deion Sanders. Deion, I don't think it's too much to say they might not even be the best team in the AFC East. Let's remember, the Buffalo Bills are... What's their record? What's their record? You heard me. What's their record? They're 10 and 2. They lost two games. They're 10 and 2. Okay. Isn't that the best record amongst the league? And we're panicking? You you just shattered the glass. Your hand should be bleeding because you just broke the glass in case of emergency. And it's not even an emergency right now. This is the problem I have with the Patriots right now. Mm Mm-hmm. Tom Brady is getting frustrated. You know why he's getting frustrated? Because everything outside the numbers, they're not getting any separation. They're not getting open. And they don't really understand the game and how to sit in holes as a receiver. And it's frustrating him. He's too old and bold, and the story ain't half been told, that this man is the (laughs) GOAT. And you give him that, I guarantee you, something's going to happen within the next few weeks in the receiver department. They got to get this man some help because what I saw today was ridiculous. What are they going to shop for? I mean, Randy Moss is on a different network. But they've already done that. They said said goodbye to A.B. They said goodbye to Josh Gordon. Gronk isn't walking through that door. Okay, so somebody is it trade. uh, You can't trade. That's the that. Well, no, I'm sorry. Not trade something. Something's going to come okay. through that door. But but something's not, got to come through that door. Okay, let's let's pretend nothing's going to happen, Dion. And this is the team moving forward. I wasn't just if saying. If nothing's going to happen, nothing's going to happen. If nothing's going to happen, nothing's going to happen with the Super Bowl. It's Super Bowl or bust. This team don't play to go to the playoffs. You know they're going to the playoffs when they woke up this morning. They're going to the championship round. But to get to the Super Bowl and win it like they're accustomed to doing. It's not going to happen unless they make some adjustments out wide. Defense is fine. Yeah, they had a lackluster performance tonight. They played against a pretty darn good offense that was lackluster against Baltimore a couple weeks ago. But these guys showed up and showed out today. All right, there's Deion Sanders. Um, Towards the end, he gets away. As Chris Rose says, well, I mean, you're not going to make a trade. Here's what I will say, though. Here's where Chris Rose dropped the ball. I think. Chris Rose was trying to do it nicely. He was trying to not make Deion Sanders look like an idiot, right? But he had no choice to be like, you can't make a trade. Like, you can't make, trade deadline's come and gone. You, you can't make a trade. You, so you can't do that. And then Deion was like, well, no, I don't mean a trade. Now, I don't, I don't know if Deion Sanders was speaking with an informed opinion. He might have been. I'm sure he talks to people. I'm sure he hears things. What if he's talking to Des Bryant, right? Like, what if Des Bryant tells him a com- about a conversation that Des Bryant has had with someone? Des Bryant's been tweeting up a storm. I tweeted this earlier. I said on Twitter, it seems like there's a battle or a competition between Des Bryant and Antonio Brown to see who can correctly get the number to God, the number to call God, because they're both talking about, you know, praying and calling God. Who Who's going to get the correct phone number to God first? If I had to put my money on it, I'd put my money on Des Bryant getting that correct number to God first. But what if Deion Sanders is talking to Des Bryant? I don't know if that was an informed opinion or if he's just, if he's just spewing hot garbage 
like a lot of people on TV and the sports media do, just to get a reaction, just to get that retweet, just to get that view on social media or on YouTube or on the NFL Network website or or, or TV station. Like, just to get that soundbite of yourself saying something ridiculous that you know is going to stick that people like myself are going to play the audio of and react to it. Is that what Dion was doing? Was he just sending out a little reactionary shockwave to the football world by saying, I guarantee you the Patriots will make an addition at the wide receiver position this year? Is that an informed opinion? Or is that just him trying to stir it up? with absolute nonsense, knowing that the Patriots do need some type of of help at the wide receiver position. And, you know, he's going to stir it up a little bit with that. Um, What I would have liked Chris Rose to do is say, Dion, do you know something? And Chris Rose tried to do the little dance around and not make Dion look stupid and said, well, no, here are the guys they had. Here are the guys they, they let go. You know, Gronk's not coming back. They let Antonio Brown go. They they got rid of Josh Gordon. They can't make any more trades. I wanted, you know, I, I just thought Chris Rose should have been, De- should have said, Dion, you sound like you know something. Do you know something? And then we could have got the answer to it. You know, then Dion would be like, either, yeah, I've heard things, or, no, I haven't heard anything. I'm just saying you would think this is what needs to happen. We never get the answer to that question because Chris Rose never asked it. He should have stopped Dion in his tracks the minute he said that and said, Dion, wait a minute. Do you, do you speak with knowledge on the situation? Do you know something that we don't? If you do, what do you know? Like, he didn't do that. He did a bad, so he did a bad job, Chris Rose, by not, by not doing that. From the standpoint of, let's get to the truth. From the standpoint of, you know, let's keep this somewhat open-ended and get people to talk about this video clip and get some retweets on Twitter, and then maybe he did do his job, Chris Rose. But I'm in a business of getting the facts. I'm in a business of dealing with factual information. And, and what I get out of this, by listening to the end, by listening to Deion Sanders continue with this, what I get out of it is that he is not speaking with an informed... This is not an informed opinion. This is... Deion Sanders not knowing when the trade deadline was. This is Deion Sanders not knowing that there was a deadline for Gronk to return and that deadline's passed. This is Deion Sanders not really knowing anything or having any sources about what the Patriots are looking to do. This is just Deion Sanders seeing that the Patriots need help and him wanting to have a strong opinion on the matter, and he throws out the word guarantee, and I don't know that he uses it in, <laughs> in the correct way. Um, so that's Deion Sanders. I, I, I don't think the Patriots are going to make an addition from the outside. Like, they're not bringing Antonio Brown back. If they do anything, is it Des Bryant? But if it was, like, what would that do? Des Bryant... He signed with New Orleans last year in November, and like two days later at practice, he tore his Achilles. Like, that's the miracle man you're going to bring in? I think you probably have a better chance of working with one of the kids that you have that have been functioning and practicing under this system and playing with Tom Brady. I do, right? I I, I just... You have a better chance of Mohamed Sanu making a difference that the Patriots thought he would make when they gave up a second-round pick for him. 
So I just don't think Deion Sanders is speaking. The more I've listened to that about five times today, and um, even the last couple days, more than that. I I think he's just reacting to what he sees, and what he sees is the Patriots need some type of help at the wide receiver position. I think he uses the word guaranteed in the wrong spot. I think he's just fired up, is trying to give analysis, and is trying to give a strong take, which is what... You know, the, the that's what the job says you got to do. That's the job description these days. You go on TV, you get brought in as a guest. You got to give a strong take, whether it's factual or not. And because he is a former player and is in NFL circles, it gets us thinking, well, maybe it is an informed opinion. But towards the end of that conversation, it sounded to me like, and we could have got the answer to that if Chris Rose asked the question, but he didn't ask the question. He didn't actually get, Chris Rose didn't actually get to the point and say, Dion, hold on. You sound like you know something. Are you saying this, that you guarantee the Patriots will make an addition based on something you know and you've heard? Or are you just kind of throwing this against the wall? And I think he was just kind of throwing shit against the wall. Even though Chris Rose didn't ask the question. He should have asked the question, but he didn't. And we're left to guess. And my guess is that Deion Sanders was just throwing shit against the wall based on what he saw the Patriots needed to do, and based on Deion Sanders not being very knowledgeable about the important dates in the NFL on the NFL schedule with regards to the trade deadline, uh, the deadline for Gronk to return, and uh, you know any other deadline there is on, on adding players and, and what needs to be done. You know, waiver wire rules. Like, I just don't think Deion Sanders is giving us any real dirt right there. I think it's mostly just his opinion. And the use of the word guarantee in the wrong spot. That's all. So, um, right now, that's what we got with the Patriots. You know, they, they they just need someone to step up. They need someone on that offense in that receiving court to step up. And it's got to be Mohamed Sanu. Think about all the things that could open up if Mohamed Sanu could be a game changer on this offense. Think about it. And that was the thought process when the Patriots made the trade. I mean, they made the trade a week before the trade deadline. They saw someone that was available. They knew what it was going to take to get him. They they agreed to give up a lot to get that player. The Patriots don't just give out a second give up a second round pick like that. Like they gave up a lot. I know what other picks they got for, you know, compensation and all this. And the third I think they got they gonna have three third round picks next year. Whatever that number is, they get a lot. And you could say they'll flip that and get the second round pick back and everything will be okay. Well, the, the fact of the matter is they still give up a second rounder for Mohamed Sanu a week before the deadline. That's a bold move from the Patriots. And when you make that bold move, you expect more. And I know there's an injury he's dealing with, but man, I think there's a lot of players out there dealing with injuries on both sides of the football. So how much of an excuse do you want to make that? Right? Um, that's the state of the Patriots. They need help. I'm not telling you anything you don't know. It's just, where are they going to get that help? It's going to come from inside what they got right now, and who, but who's it going to come from? I think it needs to come from Mohamed Sanu. It is time for Mohamed Sanu to step up, in my opinion. Which brings us to my picks for Week 14 in the NFL. Though, actually, real quick, there are, I mentioned the clinching scenarios in the NFL, and there are some, and the Patriots, uh, they have one of those clinching scenarios. The Patriots can clinch a playoff berth, just by winning this game against Kansas City. Uh, or Patriots can clinch a playoff berth with a Houston loss and an Indianapolis loss and an Oakland-Tennessee tie. 
So let's just say the Patriots can clinch a playoff berth with a win. Some of these scenarios get complicated. I'm not going to get into the complicated ones. I think they waste all of our time when we start to get into ties and uh, and or situations. Uh, but the straightforward ones, here are the teams in Week 14 that can clinch their division. Baltimore and Kansas City are the only two teams that can clinch their division. Baltimore can clinch the AFC North with a win over Buffalo and a Pittsburgh loss. So a Baltimore win in Buffalo and Pittsburgh losing in Arizona and Baltimore can clinch their division. Kansas City can clinch their division, the AFC West, with a win over the Patriots and an Oakland loss. Oakland is at home against Tennessee. So Baltimore and Kansas City have the potential to clinch their divisions. If I'm a if I'm a betting man, I would say Kansas City is not going to clinch their division in week 14. And I would say that I think Pittsburgh is going to beat Arizona, which means I don't think Baltimore is going to win their division just yet. Eventually Baltimore will win that division. Just not not this week. Well, Outside of that, here are the teams that can clinch a playoff berth. I told you the Patriots would win, can clinch a playoff berth. Baltimore can clinch a playoff berth with a win. Um, Then you got Buffalo can clinch a playoff berth with a win, an Oakland loss, and a Houston loss, and an Indy loss. So Buffalo needs to win, and they need some help with losses from Oakland, Houston, and Indy. San Francisco can clinch a playoff berth with a win over New Orleans and a Rams loss to Seattle. So San Francisco can clinch a playoff berth with a win and a Rams loss. Seattle can clinch a playoff berth with a win over the Rams on Sunday Night Football. Uh, So those are the clinching scenarios for Week 14. If If you care. But that's what we got. Uh, So a lot of craziness now ensues in the NFL playoff pictures in each conference moving forward here the next four or five weeks. But um, it is time to get to my picks, as I do every single Thursday, five games against the spread. So let's get to it. Hit the music. Picks, picks for week 14 presented by DraftKings. You can play for free at DraftKings.com or on the DraftKings app by using promo code PICK, P-I-C. That's promo code PICK, P-I-C, at DraftKings.com. I went 2-3 and again last week. I need to be better than that. Come on, let's bounce back. I will do it. Pick number one, the Denver Broncos, a nine-point dog over the Houston Texans. This game's Sunday at 1 o'clock in Houston. Uh, I'm not telling you the Denver Broncos are going to win this game in Houston. But I am telling you that I think they're just feisty enough to keep this one close. I believe that. Look, the Texans are 8-4. and four. They're coming off a big win over the Patriots, and currently Houston is the number three seed in the AFC. If I had to put my money on it, on the playoff format and the playoff picture, I would say that I would put my money on Houston finishing the regular season and entering the playoffs as the three seed in the AFC. I think that's where they're going to finish. The rest of their schedule, it's not that difficult. Um, So that's where I think Houston's going to end up. Uh, But I'm taking... So I'm high on Houston still. But still, I'm taking the points because... 
I think the Broncos, who are 4-8, and eight, I look at their defense. They have a top-five pass defense, and I think that pass defense could pose some problems for Deshaun Watson and a Houston team that they're going to be they're going to be feeling pretty good about themselves like they they you know they're on an extra high right now because they just beat the Patriots right they just beat New England um they did it on the on the national stage on Sunday night football they're feeling good and i think maybe they could be overlooking Denver if this game is in Houston they could be overlooking a 4 and 8 Broncos team but this Broncos team with that top 5 pass defense they've also turned to rookie quarterback Drew Locke Drew Locke led Denver to a win last week in his NFL debut. He beat the Chargers 23-20. He was 18 of 28 for 134 yards, but he threw two touchdown passes in this game. I don't think he's going to lead the Broncos to another win this week, but I think he'll keep it close. I think he'll keep it close. Drew Locke, a lot of people were talking about him going into the draft last year. Now, he's been given the keys to the car in Denver. They're 4-8. They got a nice defense. I think they could catch Houston snoozing or maybe taking it easy on them a little bit. Houston knowing they just beat the Patriots and, and oh, they can beat, they beat the Patriots. They can beat the Broncos. Well, they probably will beat the Broncos, but the Broncos will keep it close, and that's why I'm taking the points. Give me Denver, a nine-point dog in Houston on Sunday. I'm taking the Broncos plus nine in this one. Then I'm taking the Indianapolis Colts, a three-point dog over the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. The Colts a 6-6. Six and six. The Buccaneers are 5-7. and seven. And both of these teams are still mathematically alive in the playoff race. They can both still get in. However, Indy has a much better chance to get in in the AFC than Tampa Bay has a chance to get in in the NFC. Tampa Bay's not winning their division. And so the only chance they have is a wild card. And right now, the final wild card team is Minnesota at 8-4. and four. And like I said, Tampa Bay's 5-7. and seven. Tampa Bay, while they're mathematically alive... They're not getting in. If you're the Colts, though, even though right now you're on the outside looking in at 6-6, six and six, it's realistic that you could still make the playoffs. I mean, it was just a couple weeks ago that a lot of people were talking about how Indianapolis might be the toughest challenge for the Patriots in the AFC. My, how things have changed. Well, they've changed, but I still think Indy is a pretty solid team. They're not playing with T.Y. Hilton right now. He's out with an injury, so that's going to pose some problems for them. But they should feel somewhat disrespected by being an underdog in this game against a 5-7 and seven Buccaneers team that everybody knows isn't making the playoffs, right? It's a must-win for the Colts. Um, I think you have to look at uh, uh, the fact that Tampa Bay at home, this game is in Tampa Bay, all right? It's Sunday 1 in Tampa Bay. Tampa Bay is 1-4 at home. They only have one win at home. So is it really home cooking or home field advantage for the Buccaneers? It doesn't look like it. So that's another reason why I'm taking the Colts. Um, the Colts, they've lost two straight. I think they'll have a bounce back win. I, again, I think I'll, I think they'll feel a little disrespected being an underdog. I'll take the points because I think they go in knowing it's a must win. Bounce back. They beat Tampa, who's not good in their own building. I'm taking the Colts plus three, not just to cover, but to win the game. Give me Indy plus three over Tampa Bay. Then I'm taking the New England. Patriots, a three-point favorite over the Kansas City Chiefs. Sunday at 425 at Gillette Stadium. Uh, you would think the Patriots are 2-10, not 10-2, right? The way people talk about the Patriots. Well, the Patriots, I told you about all the heat that they're taking, all the heat that the offense has taken. The Patriots offense needs to figure some things out. Uh, the Patriots have been bounced down to the number two seed in the AFC because Baltimore's win last week 
beat they beat the 49ers, and with the Patriots losing to Houston, Baltimore moves up to the one seed. Even though they have the same record, Baltimore holds, holds the head-to-head tiebreaker over the Patriots because Baltimore has beaten the Patriots, and that's the all-important head-to-head tiebreaker. It's the number one tiebreaker. Uh, so if the Patriots, if the playoffs began today, the Patriots would be the two seed in the AFC. Baltimore would be the one seed. And because of that, people are down on New England because of also the offensive issues that I mentioned. And it's not like things get any easier for the Patriots as Kansas City comes to town. But I will say, if you watch Kansas City's defense this year, you can score on them. All right, this Kansas City defense isn't this big, bad defense that should slow down the Patriots' offense as much as the Patriots' offense is struggling. The Patriots are at home. They're 5-0 at home this year. It's a December home game for the Patriots. Kansas City's defense, you want to go in on that a little deeper? Well, their rush defense allows 141 rush yards per game. That's Kansas City's rush defense. 141 rush yards per game. That's third worst in the NFL. Are we looking at a big Sony Michelle game? Is that what this could be? Maybe. Could that open some things up for the pass game for the Patriots later on, maybe in the second half? It could. I think the Patriots win this. Kansas City has won two straight. It'll be interesting to see what Patrick Mahomes can do against this Patriots defense, which again is the best in the league statistically allowing just 12 points per game. But again, at Gillette, in December, Patriots are going to win. The only question is, do they cover? It could be close. could be a three-point game. Could end up being a push. But I'm taking the Patriots minus three. I think they win by a touchdown. Give me New England as a three-point favorite against the Chiefs team that right now is eight and four and the fourth seed in the AFC that I just don't think is good enough defensively to even slow down a struggling Patriots offense. Something is going to click in this game for the Patriots offense at home. And it clicks enough for them to win by a touchdown. Give me the Patriots. Minus three over Kansas City. Pick number four. I'm going with the LA Rams. They're a one-point dog. This game is Sunday night football at home in LA over the Seattle Seahawks. The Seahawks are 10-2. and two. They're on a roll. They've won five straight. They won Monday night against Minnesota. It was a big win because it bounced them up to the top of the division. It bounced Kansas City, excuse me, bounced San Francisco down uh, to the wild card spot, and Seattle moved up to the two seed in the NFC. It was huge. Seattle would like to keep that ball rolling. And a stat for Seattle this year, which is kind of wild, usually Seattle is known as the team that's so good in their own building. This year, it's been the opposite. They're best on the road. They're 6-0 on the road this year. So you're probably wondering, why would you take the Rams, a team that has seemingly been broken this season, they're 7-5, and five, they're on the outside looking in in the playoffs, they might not get in, uh, why would you pick them over a Seattle team that's on a roll, that's the number two seed in the NFC, that's getting great football, MVP caliber football from Russell Wilson, that's 6-0 and on the road, and this is a road game, why would you pick the Rams over the Seahawks? I just look at this league. And, and this is this league is so stupid. Seahawks shouldn't lose this game. They shouldn't. They shouldn't. But they probably will. Because they shouldn't, they will. So yeah, here's another stat here I got to point out. The Seahawks, this might surprise you, but the Seahawks actually have the fourth worst pass defense in the NFL, allowing 270 pass yards per game. Is this an opportunity for maybe Jared Goff and the Rams offense to get it going and maybe rediscover something with that passing game? Maybe. At home? Against a struggling pass defense? Maybe this is their moment. I don't know. It's just the league, the way it works is that Seattle, as good as they've been, 
the Rams, as broken as they've looked, that's going to flip on Sunday night. We're going to see the Rams beat the Seahawks. Even if it's close, they will do it. Give me the Rams plus one. It's basically a pick em. I think the Rams win at home on Sunday night over Seattle. So I'll take the LA Rams plus one. And then my fifth pick, my lock of the week, I am taking the Oakland Raiders, a two-point dog over the Tennessee Titans. How about those Titans? The Ryan Tannehill-led Titans. So far, the Ryan Tannehill era has been a very good thing for Tennessee. Uh, but Tennessee right now, on the outside looking in of the playoffs, they're 7-5, and five, but they've won three straight, including a big win over their division rival Colts last week. Um, when you look at the Titans' schedule here moving forward, though, very tough schedule. After Oakland, you get Houston twice and New Orleans. Is Tennessee going to get into the playoffs? I don't think so. So this is kind of a must-win for Tennessee, but it's also a must-win for the Raiders. The Raiders are 6-6. Six and six. They know they're still alive. They've been embarrassed the last two games, losses to the Jets and the Chiefs, in which Oakland has combined for just 12 points. 12 points. Oakland's better than that. They've let me down recently with my picks, but I'm sticking with them. I'm betting on the Raiders to bounce back and bounce back Sunday at 425 at home. And at home this season, Oakland's 5-1. Little home cooking against a Titans team that's beatable. Give me the Raiders to win this game and cover the two points. My lock of the week, Oakland plus two over Tennessee. So my picks for week 14, I'm going with Denver plus nine, Indianapolis plus three, New England minus three, the Rams plus one, and my lock of the week, the Raiders plus two. Picks, picks, as always, presented by DraftKings. You can play for free at DraftKings.com or on the DraftKings app by using promo code PICK, P-I-C. That's promo code PICK, P-I-C, at DraftKings.com. So um, I will react to those picks and the results of those picks on Monday's podcast. And uh, I know that we get a lot of people now that, that pick against me, right? They listen to my picks and they go with the opposite because they know that I keep losing, which means that they'll keep winning. What do they call that? What's the, the phrase? Is it fading my picks? I am not. Look, I go and I make my picks. I go and make the picks. I don't get into the lingo or the catchphrases. Like, I'm not. I don't need to understand the gambling lingo. I just need to know if a team covers or they don't. That's it. I know some people try to go fancy with the lingo. Oh, I know gambling more than you. I'm not going to go there. I, I don't act like or pretend like I know gambling more than you. And even if I did, it wouldn't matter to me. Um, all I know is I'm trying to pick winners. I'm trying to make money. And whatever the lingo may be, whatever you want to do, whether it's fade my picks or pick against me, however you phrase it, or you want to bet with me because you know I'm due for a good week. Just know that you're an adult and you can make your own decisions and don't come back at me when you lose if you do pick the same picks as me because just know I'll be just up, just as upset as you. I will. I'll be just as upset as you. So I'm just going to close out the show here with some thoughts on Major League Baseball because uh, we do have a couple news and notes. And the winter meetings on next week. Beginning Monday in San Diego. couple big moves have been made the last couple days. Zach Wheeler signs a five-year, $118 million deal. $118 million deal with the Phillies. So let me just... I had the calculator out a minute ago. 118. That's $23.6 million a year 
for Zach Wheeler. Um, I know I always told you that I wanted the Red Sox to trade for Wheeler. But that was like, that was, you know, over the last four or five years. I didn't want the Red Sox to sign him for 23.6, we'll call it 24 mil a year. So I don't think Wheeler's worth that much. I don't. You could convince me that David Price and Chris Sale are worth their contracts so much more than you could convince me Wheeler's worth 24 mil a year for five years. Like, I I don't know that that's going to end well for the Phillies. I'll be honest. Even though I'm a Wheeler fan, I just, I don't think that's going to work out. Uh, Cole Hamels signs a one-year, $18 million deal with the Braves. So he's going to Atlanta. 18 mil for one year. And then according to ESPN, this is coming from, who, who's it coming from? Should I, should I say it? Jeff Passan? Jeff Passan? However you say his name. I'm giving him credit. You know, the credit that he doesn't give me when I break my stories. But I'll give him the credit, right? I'm not going to. I'm not going to sit here and be someone that I, like, I want people to give credit, proper credit. So practice what you preach. I'll practice what I preach. Jeff Passan, ESPN, reports, and I quote, multiple executives this week said they believe a potential trade involving 2018 American League MVP Mookie Betts is unlikely to happen. The Boston Red Sox, who are looking to cut payroll, instead are trying to move salary in the form of a pitcher, either David Price or Nathan Avaldi, which is all well and good, except that to do so, the Red Sox will need to include someone of value, end quote. So, Jeff Passan says it's it's unlikely the Red Sox move, move bets. Instead, they're going to try to move someone else. And I've told you, that if the Red Sox are going to make a move to try to cut salary, cut payroll, they should try to trade David Price. And I also said in order to do that and get someone to pick up his contract for the next three or four years, you're going to need to add something to it. That's why I said in the past, you add Andrew Benatendi. You might even go into a deal going, hey, let's trade you Andrew Benatendi. And oh, you know what? We got to throw in David Price. We're gonna. You need to take David Price's contract if you want Ben Attendee. Or however you want to do it. But I think that's the type of move you need to make. So it's good to hear from Jeff Passan that the Red Sox are considering that. And they're considering trying to get creative by adding someone of value, someone of, of more value, who's younger and cheaper and under contract the next couple of years in order to move and, and clear salary that David Price someone like David Price currently makes. So it's good to hear that they are open to that. It's funny, like, I look at the Patriots. It's the Patriots. I keep saying the Patriots because the Patriots are on my mind. So I apologize if I've said Patriots during this Red Sox rant. But when it's funny. When I look at the Red Sox depth shot and, like, we try to think about moves they could or couldn't or should or shouldn't make this offseason, so much talk has been about the Red Sox farm system and how... You know, they need to build it up and, and you know, instead of giving all this big money to these players in their 30s, like, what have they done for the farm system? Like, where's the young talent? That is such fake, phony, baloney news. It's not even funny. Look at the Red Sox depth chart. If the, if the 
if the season began right now and they went with the team that was currently under contract, when I look at the depth chart, out of all the positional players, everything outside of pitching, there's only one player that is not a homegrown talent from the organization. And it's J.D. Martinez, the DH. Everything else. Catcher, Christian Vasquez. First base, Michael Chavis. Second base, Dustin Pedroia. Who's not as young as everybody else, but you get what I'm trying to say. Homegrown talent. Shortstop, Xander Bogots. Third base, Rafael Devers. Left field, Andrew Benetene. Center field, Jackie Bradley Jr. Right field, Mookie Betts. I mean, that's these are all players that are homegrown talent, most of them in their 20s. Like, so how could you make the argument that the Red Sox don't do a good job with their farm system or their prospects? Like, uh, we got to get all worked up about it. I don't understand. They did the job. They put together a major league roster of players in their 20s who came up from their own farm system. And it's a team, by the way, that has a chance to win the division next year, even as currently constituted. So, I I just really don't understand any outcry or outrage over the farm system stuff. Like, I, I don't get it. It's fake news. Fake news. And so, um, like, when we talk about what the Red Sox should give up or get rid of, and if you need to package a young player... Like an Andrew Benatendi? I don't know. What about, I mean, I'd be willing to throw Chavis in in that deal. Right? Chavis isn't untouchable. I would give up Benatendi before Chavis. But Chavis isn't untouchable. But it's someone like that. It's good to hear that the Red Sox are going to consider doing that. And if you did do that, throw in a young player with the David Price just to get rid of David Price's contract, you're doing it for the purpose of re-signing Mookie Betts and trying to stay close to that luxury tax threshold or at least try to get below it. And um, I, I'm, you know, I like hearing that news. So it's good news on the Red Sox front, and we'll just keep an eye on it as we get into the winter meetings which will begin on Monday. Get this show whenever you want on iTunes, Spotify, anywhere podcasts are available. Subscribe to my YouTube channel, youtube.com slash Danny Picard. Go to my website, dannypicard.com. Anything else? Follow me on social media at Danny Picard. Enjoy your weekend, everybody. I am out. Talk to you on Monday.